Hey everyone, I need your attention for one minute. This is not one of those ads. This is something that has changed my entire life. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is all about personal development as the foundation for everything good in your life. And this podcast is now sponsored by Growth Day, which is the world's first all-in-one personal development app. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine having everything all in one place that you need to create the life that you want? Now you can. So if you've been struggling with your motivation, your mood, your productivity, or your purpose, you have to check this out. Growth Day helps you consciously change your life and achieve your potential. It has all the self-improvement tools, motivational classes, and life coaching all in one place. So many of us want to improve our lives, but the question is how? Where do we start? What do we use? How do you get unstuck? How do you make self-improvement stick? Well, research shows how. It's when you consistently journal, track your habits, set goals, learn from empowering mentors, and challenge yourself that you'll be happier, healthier, and more successful. But let me ask you something. Where do you actually do all of your personal development work? I have to tell you that over 300,000 people use Growth Day for a reason. It works. It's the world's number one software for self-improvement. Growth Day has an amazing mindset journal that I absolutely love, a habit tracker, and a goal-setting system. In fact, I bet if you went to my stories this week, you probably saw me using the journaling app and telling you to do it too, because it's the first time that journaling has ever actually stuck consistently in my life because of this app. And best of all, Growth Day has live inspirational classes every single week from the world's top motivational speakers and life coaches. These are people who have impacted my life in huge ways. These are mentors who I already knew and loved. In fact, this is something that's so huge for me, you guys. I personally teach a class in Growth Day every single month, and it is one of the most fun things that I get to do, and I'd love to see you there. These classes will truly shift your life. There's always something new that you will learn. So join me in 300,000 Achievers Growing Our Lives with actual real intention. Visit growthday.com slash Lori for a free trial. Yes, you can try this for free. So go to growthday.com slash Lori and go live your best life. You guys, that's growthday.com forward slash Lori. And I can't wait to see you there. Doing something that's really hard for you and trying to beat it with willpower or just grit rarely actually wins. However, one thing that truly we as human beings are gifted with over anything else on this planet is our creative imagination. That is one of the things that really does make us unique. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. 
Thank you everyone for tuning into another episode of the podcast. And I hope that this is finding you in a week that you are choosing to create and make amazing. And before we get started, go to, are you ready? Yes. I'm asking you to go to theblissproject.info if you haven't checked it out yet. If you have and you're already coming, then this should get you even more excited because this is the year that is going to elevate and rock your world. If you've already been in the past, I'm telling you, get ready. It's going to the next level. And if you have not been there yet and you are ready for a shift in your life and you're ready to meet your like-minded tribe, and you're also just ready to have some fun, let go of some stuff, go home with an amazing group of friends and really learn how to shift your whole life in one weekend. Yeah, that might be a big claim, but it's going to happen. So if you choose it, it's all there for you. It's all there for you. Everything that you need is in that room to learn or to let go or to connect with people. So I hope that you join us and I will see you there. It is coming up and it's coming really, really fast, you guys. So go to info. And I'm really excited about today's episode because this is a human being that I have been following for quite some time. I discovered him on uh, Marie TV, so Marie Forleo's show. And I remember that he was talking about five secrets to change your life. And it was all about the biology of change. And he had so much wisdom that I literally watched this video over and over and over because I was determined to be able to understand it so well that I could teach it because it was changing my life. So today on the podcast, I have this incredible human being and we have Todd Herman with us today. And he has come out with a new book called The Alter Ego Effect. And Todd Herman is a toughness and performance coach to professional and Olympic athletes. He's a leadership and performance advisor to billionaires and hundreds of entrepreneurs. He's also the creator of The 90 Day Year, which is a business achievement program designed for business owners to master the art of execution. And this awesome human truly is a performance expert. And that's what we're going to talk all about today. It's really about learning how to activate your heroic self. And you're going to learn all about the different drivers that we are truly made up of. And not just that, you might even get to come up with your own alter ego that you get to create and name and call on. I loved this episode because so much of what I've done to create any sort of success in my life was really confirmed today. And not only that, I really felt like I had the tools to take it to the next level. So I know you're going to love this. Make sure that you tune in until the end and let's get started. Todd, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. I don't know how I got so lucky to actually get the invite. So thank you for having me. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's amazing and so nice of you to say. But I'll tell you that you have literally... Okay. So I, I was like Marie Forleo obsessed for many years, still am. Um, <laughs> and I found you on the video, what was it? The five Five Secrets to Change Your Life. Yes. And at that time, I was just absolutely in love with learning about the you know uh, psychology and physiology and biology behind change. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like I, I knew my journey had so much to do with that. So I loved being able to teach it. So I watched that video 
so many times to be able to describe it to people, like to people. So thank you for that. You made me like, you made me sound so much smarter. So it was borrowed, (laughs) borrowed knowledge. And now it's mine though. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, exactly, exactly. Well, well, thank God Marie was such a good coach um, because she made me look good on that video too. <laughs> <laughs> she is amazing. So I'm super excited to have you here because I was just going through your book and I literally cannot wait to actually have the physical copy in my hands and not yeah. to jump right into your book, but oh my God, I'm really, really thrilled to talk about this topic, which the title of your book, would you share what it is? Yeah, it's called uh, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. Okay, so I know that this is like literally one of my biggest secrets, but I need to learn all about now, yeah. like what the science is behind it. But before you do that, would you share just a little bit about yourself? Well, I live here in New York City now, uh, but I did not start in a place where there was eight and a half million people in one spot. I grew up on a farm and ranch in Western Canada outside of uh, a small city called Medicine Hat. Um, You know, 8,000 acres or 10,000 acres, whatever it was. When I grew up, I was in the middle of nowhere, truly. I had this kind of knack for sports and I ended up getting uh, some football scholarship, and uh, I was a nationally ranked badminton player. So I, my, my kind of history was always around sport. And um, I had some unfortunate stuff happen to me at a very young age where I kind of sort of get, get into like mental toughness stuff mm-hmm. out of really actually just survival, honestly, just to keep mm-hmm. myself alive. And uh, now without going too deep into it, basically, you know, I was sexually assaulted um, at a church camp when I was when I was 12. And I started getting into again, like just trying to master my own mental game. And it actually really served me then playing sports. And then when I got done playing, I started, you know, volunteering at a high school, coaching some kids, and I would kind of share with them what my strategies were. And it always helped me get into the zone and flow state. And these kids started getting some great results. And over time, I started getting asked to speak. And again, this wasn't a business. And then it evolved into one. And I ended up um, starting a, a peak performance and sports science training business, working with athletes on the mental game started working with pro athletes, Olympic athletes a few years later. Um, And then, you know, anytime you're working with the elite um, of sport, you got a lot of achievers in business that are like, well, hey, I got to perform at a high level too. So I started building out training programs in the corporate and small business world. And um, yeah, kind of long story short, it's taken me all over the globe, worked with tens of thousands of people. And, but one of my kind of core secrets and strategies was using alter egos with athletes. Because once I started working with more and more kind of better quality athletes, there was this consistent theme that started showing up. And it was that they would say things like, I step on the field as a a different self or I use a character or persona or I take a different version out there. And a lot of times they didn't say alter ego, but that was, they were all dancing around it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool because I did the exact same thing when I played football. And then when I started my business, I felt like, you know, I was 21 when I started and I looked like I was probably 12 and, uh, and I was so insecure about what I, how young I looked that it was really stopping me from going out and doing the things that I wanted to go and do, even though I knew I was good at it because I already displayed that. I was getting you know, these young athletes a great result, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't book the talk or I wouldn't reach out to people. And I was just wrapped up in my own head. And I was like, wait a second, I use this kind of alter ego thing in sport. Why can't I? This is just a different playing field for me. Mm. And um, and so I went out and uh, this was long before wearing glasses was cool. Um, so 1997 to take you back. And I went to a lens crafters in West Edmonton Mall where I was living at the time. And I got a non-prescription pair of glasses 
to step into my Superman version of myself in business. And I was kind of, it was kind of like the reverse of Clark Kent. He would put them on to become Clark Kent and I would put them on to be this super version of myself in business. And that's what really got me started, got me out of my own way, allowed me to circumvent all that other kind of crap that I was, you know, trying to narrate in my own head that who I was and just get past myself just to kind of wrap it up. Then in sport, I just saw that these other athletes were doing it too. And so I started to create the process and the system for doing it for other people. And, you know, 15 years later, I finally wrote the book. (laughs) Mm. Okay. So many things. And number one, thank you so much for sharing that. I know there's so many people, especially it's so powerful um, coming from a male who's willing to share that. Number two, I loved your dedication in your book for all the people who grew up in the middle of nowhere because I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So I'm like, oh, that's why I like him. Um, (laughs) um, And I I love the alter ego idea. I think for so many people, whether you grew up in a small town or a big city, whatever it is, especially I think people from smaller towns, when we we think that we want to become something or make it like you... It, it can really mess with you thinking like you don't have the skills coming from a smaller town or that you're yeah. not the type of person or you don't have the background. Um, and you can feel really consumed, like almost like it's eating you alive. Like you're not yeah. going to make it in that, in that arena. So you do need to step into something. So for you, what it sounds like this was your own personal journey of stepping into your own alter ego. So can you kind of share that? Yeah. Journey? Um, yeah. What really started happening once you finally stepped in? Well, um, so I I talk about this in the book that the importance of, like, if I was going to step into this character. So when I played football, I had my alter egos when I was in, it was kind of a combination of many coming together. And I'm a huge Native American buff. Um, Growing up where I grew up, I was lucky because it was actually kind of a very famous part of Canada when, when Sitting Bull, after the, um, the battle at Little Bighorn, when he fled across the United States border into Canada, his tribe settled in, in the area that our farm and ranch is. And so anyways, I grew up around discovering fire rocks and kind of digging around and trying to find old arrowheads and stuff. And I was just fascinated with that culture. But I, what I was fascinated with was when, when they go have a warring party, when they would dance around the fire, what they were doing was it was five or six of them coming together to try to channel to become one. And it was all about unity and, and just creating that real power of a force of many going out. And there's actually someone I'm going to share with everybody later that has used it as well in the same way that everybody knows and might be surprised with. But so I, I love that idea. And so I wanted to create this tribe in my head to go out onto the football field and play way bigger than I was. I was a scrawny kid. I was fast, but I, it was impossible for me. I could eat everything in the world and I just couldn't put on any weight. Mm-hmm. But I went out there and I played way bigger than myself because in my head, I had Walter Payton, who was you know mm-hmm. the, one of the greatest running backs of all time. And I had Ronnie Lott because I played defense as well. And he was an amazing safety for the San Francisco 49ers. And then um, this tribe of Native Americans. And I always had this mental movie theater in my head. And I used it and, and I used it as an escape when I was going through a lot of tough times um, to just imagine a different version of myself. And it served me then because that visualization skill set is really a powerful um, skill to develop. And a lot of people actually dishonor others by just saying, oh, you need to visualize it. Visualization is actually very 
difficult and challenging for people to do. So if any of the people that are listening have heard that and you've tried to visualize, it's a skill that you have to develop. And so I had developed it quite well. And I had this mental movie theater and I would step into it and I would imagine Walter and Ronnie Lott and this tribe coming towards me. And I used trading cards. I had three from Walter Payton. I had two from Ronnie Lott and I would put one of Walter Payton's in my helmet. I'd put two of Ronnie Lott's, one underneath each shoulder pad. And I'd take... Uh, the last two of Walter Payton's and I put them inside of my thigh pads in my, in my football equipment so I could run like him, I could hit like Ronnie Lott and I could think like Walter on the field. But I would imagine Walter the, being the one who handed me the cards and said, okay, here you go. Activate all of us on that field, but don't for one second dishonor who we are, how we played and how we showed up by not being us the entire time. Mm. it's super important that if you do embody something like this, you really engage with it because just the way that the mind works is it will, it will always, your, ba- your behavior will always default through whatever your most resonant origin story is that you're acting through. And I wanted to create an origin story for my alter egos that was way more powerful than that insecure version of myself was going to show up like. And, and just that idea of like Walter handing me those cards, someone that I was just, was my hero and saying that to me, I was like, well, there's not a chance in hell. I'm not going to go out there and dishonor you guys. I'm going to show up as my best version of myself. And it allowed me to take on traits and characteristics that really did allow me to play my best. And then when I got into now sort of fast forward into the business space, when I would, I would, I would imagine all of my kind of the, the heroic qualities of those people that I wanted to embody living inside of my glasses. And the moment that those glasses went, you know, past that kind of temple area, it was like flicking on a switch. And then I was going to be transferring from this uh, insecure, inarticulate, and non or indecisive person into someone who was confident, decisive, and articulate. The switch was getting flicked and I wasn't going to dishonor Joseph Campbell who wrote The Hero's Journey, who is a you know, total hero of mine. You know, Abraham Lincoln, who I just wanted to like embody that level of character and integrity when faced with all of the insurmountable odds of him getting something like equal rights for everyone past and stuff. That, that's what I was flicking on and I was embodying truly those people. And if I ever caught myself being insecure or second guessing myself because my, my alter ego's name was Richard in business, which is actually my first name. And so anytime Richard would start to, you know, hear or embody the thoughts of Todd, those glasses had to come off because Mm -hmm. Richard would never think that way. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be concerned about how old he was or get caught up of what other people were going to be thinking of him when he was on stage. Um, And I was lucky. I had Jim Rohn as a mentor at a young age. And Jim was like, Todd, if you're up there, and you're offering me value, I'll never question how old you are because you're giving me value. So that's kind of a little bit of that, of that kind of process that I went through. And it's, I, I talk about it in the book and how others do it as well. Oh my gosh. Okay. So many things here. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm like, you, you, you talked about activating it. You talked about changing your default. And it sounds to me like you used an anchor. Like yeah. the glasses are anchoring. So for people who are thinking, okay, I want to start doing this. Like I want to start Mm -hmm. making that change because I'll tell you, like the number one thing I hear from people is that 
that disconnect between who they are now and who they can see themselves as in that sure. huge bridge of imposter syndrome yeah. in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Crossing that bridge. And I try to explain to people like, even right now, like I can be sitting in my home and I can still feel like an imposter in this life that I've built all yeah. around me. Um, and it's kind of like you have to turn it on and anchor it. So can you actually speak a little bit more if people are like, okay, well, how is that actually happening though? Just a little mm -hmm. bit more into even creating an anchor for yourself or what you were doing there with your glasses. Yeah. Well, I mean, A, I practiced it, right? Like I would stand in front of a mirror and actually in the end, I, I, I tell people actually not to stand in front of a mirror and do it. Because I'd much rather people get engaged with the feeling sensation and then just seeing themselves put something on, whatever it might be. But uh, there's a couple of things, though, that you said I want to talk about first before I kind of unpack this. One, you, you really said it well, where it's this this life that you have for the light and the life that you want and that that bridge that people... Uh, need to walk across. Many people feel like there is no bridge there. Like, yeah. <laughs> how can I even get there? And that's actually one of the super powerful things about using an alter ego or a secret identity is because for me, when I'm getting called for coming out and helping someone, it's typically because they need help right now when it comes to sport. Like they have the US Open starting on Saturday and I'm getting called on a Wednesday and all those other strategies that you're going to use with people long-term. Like, I mean, meditation. I mean, I was talking about meditation with people in 1997 when yoga wasn't even cool in 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, but, you know, getting someone to start meditating on a Wednesday, that's not going to deliver the results right away. That's a long-term thing. And so I was getting, I'm, I'm paid to make quick changes with people and, the alter ego strategy was always my core one that I would go to. And it's because there's something powerful that happens psychologically when it comes to change and making change happen. What most people have been teaching for the longest time is the idea that, you know, if you need to change, hey, well, change is hard. And of course, change is hard. But you've got this iron will that's inside of you that can make it happen. And that's true. We do have an iron will. It's amazing what the human spirit can withstand and go through. However, meeting force with force, change is a force, um, especially if it's a massively resistant force for you, like doing something that's really hard for you and trying to beat it with willpower or just grit rarely actually wins. However, tapping into the one thing that truly we as human beings are gifted with over anything else on this planet is our creative imagination. That is one of the things that really does make us unique. And so what an alter ego does is it's tapping into that real superpower that we do have, which can create what I call suspended disbelief. The moment that you actually start embodying the characteristics of Oprah or Lori or whoever that other, whoever that alter ego or secret identity might be, you are circumventing your own narrative and your own story because we all play the whole grass is greener on the other side, mm. right? Well, Lori's life is easier and she doesn't have to struggle with the same things I am. So that's who I'm going to go and step into. And now I can more gracefully navigate these, you know, tasks or goals or, you know, things that I'm trying to uh, chase down. It's amazing what I've seen happen with people when they really step into it. Mm. Um, and so this idea of that, you know, where you are and where you want to get to and that bridge and that gap that's there, the way to think about it is that that alter ego is like a trusted friend, which is actually what Cicero, who was the first person to ever mention the term alter ego back in 44 BC, said. He's like, the alter ego 
is the other I or a trusted friend. And if you imagine that the, the alter ego is standing on the other side of where you want to go, that extraordinary role is what I call it inside the book and is now going to pull you there, help you, get you past some of that resistance so that you don't need to fight it so hard. And just to think of it, I mean, that's how I thought about it and it, and it helped me. I mean, again, it took me a long time to get past the demons that I was you know, battling but I didn't want to quit on what my goals and my dreams were. Therapy you know, definitely helped in the end and everything, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to wait and sit on the sidelines of life before something shifted and changed. Mm. So, so, to, so to help others kind of tap into this, and you know, I, when we talk about the process in the book, and more than that, though, I talk about you know, the science behind this and, and why and, and other people that have used it. But there's a principle to kind of get to the whole, you were talking about the glasses. And again, glasses are just one, uh, one tool that we use. There is a psychological principle called enclosed cognition. Okay. And I don't know, have you gotten to the point in the book where I talk about that yet, Laura? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Okay. So you're going to love this. Okay. So enclosed cognition, because I mean, I know how much you love nerding out on the psychology I of this it. stuff. <laughs> so enclosed cognition is this principle in our lives where we as human beings, we ascribe meaning to things. And what happens is whatever something means, whatever narrative we have around that thing, and if we put it on, we actually start to act through whatever that thing is that we put on. And just to give you an example, so there was a great study that was done at the Kellogg School of Management. And what they did was they brought in a bunch of students into a room. And have you ever seen one of those um, like uh, sort of mind puzzles where you've got the word of a color, but the color that it's in is different than the word, where it's like mm-hmm. the word is green, but it's pink. Mm-hmm. It's colored in pink. And then there's like the next one is like blue, but it's got actually colored in yellow. And there's, it's typically like a five by five grid of five words going across and five down. And so 25 total boxes with the word of a color and then it being colored differently. And the challenge is to say the color of the word. Uh. So because it screws you up because you're looking at the color yellow, but it, the word is green. Right. And you got you to try to get your way through as quickly as you can. So anyways, they bring, these, <laughs> they bring these students into this room and they you know, um, get them to do the test and they record all the results and then they leave. And then the next group they bring in is a group and they hand them a white coat. And when they hand them the white coat, they tell them that it's a painter's coat. And so they put on the painter's coat and they do the same uh, test. And then so they record all those stats and then they bring in another group. And the next group, they hand them the exact same white coat, except this time they tell them that it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat. And then they record those results. Well, when you take a look at the people who were wearing the painter's coat versus just regular street clothes, do you think that there was any difference in the results? And again, what they were testing for was focus and concentration, the amount of which is basically tracked by how many mistakes that they're making. And then they were tracking how long it took them to do it. Hmm. So. What do you think the, if, what result would be different between the painter's coat people and just the regular street clothes? I feel like if I was thinking through the lens of a painter, that I would be looking for color. Like mm-hmm. I would see color first. So I would think it would be better. Okay. So the reality is nothing changed. Okay. It, was, it was the same results. And then when you take a look at the stats from people who were told that it was a lab coat. Now, again, it's the exact same white coat. Right. As the painter's coat. It was just told, they were just told it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat. Those people did it in half the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they did it and they made, they made exactly 52%, I believe it was, less mistakes 
with it. Oh my gosh. And that's because when you take a look at when someone hands you and put you put on a lab coat, you're enclosing yourself in the cognitive state of someone who's focused, mm-hmm. concentrate, who's detail oriented, right? So now your entire behavior has changed. Like you have changed. And that's the magical part of what human beings can do is we act through these things all the time. Mm. But what's funny about this is then they did another, another test with them and it was a creative test. Well, what do you think happened when they were told that it was, they, they had a painter's coat on? Right. They expressed more creativity. <laughs> they, they were better at the, this test than the people who were wearing the lab coat. They had the exact same results as the people who were wearing the plain clothes. Mm. So why this matters is every single person that's listening has something in their life that when they put it on could comfort them. Um, is something that maybe it was handed down by their grandmother. And maybe they have some great story about who their grandmother was or whatever. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a Nana and a grandmother who, you know, both of them, definitely there's a huge resonant emotion for me with who they were. Um, in fact, like my Nana, which was my mom's mom, I always felt like she was the only one who got me. My, my papa, her husband, I always like butted heads with him. And then as I grew older, I realized, oh, we were the exact same person. And that's why Nana could actually deal with me with more grace than other people could. But um, anyway, what I was trying to get to was that if you do have something that's like that, where it doesn't clothe a lot of meaning, what if you started using that as a way of activating the superhero characteristics or traits of the person that you got them from? Because now you're going to start to enclose yourself in the cognitive traits of that person. Mm. And so for me, that's why wearing those glasses, I, I, I created as much meaning as I possibly could so that I could enclose myself in the traits that I truly did want to embody. Mm. This is so powerful because I, I, I literally, I love that you have a book on this because I, I talk about this all the time, especially at my um, events yeah. where I get, you know, there's like 500 women in a room who all want to do something with their life. And yeah. I think that some of the biggest shifts are in the smallest things and yeah. that we overlook. And um, I always tell them like, I could never be on the stage if I just woke up and didn't have all of those, these tricks in my pocket. And it, the tricks are exactly what you're saying. Like, I even um, switched like three years into doing this event to changing how I dressed because I was like, wow, I am not embodying the character who would show up super powerfully in this space. And I was Mm -hmm. feeling it. It was affecting me. So I started dressing in like what I pictured as this really like powerfully feminine person would dress. Mm-hmm. And it completely, I'm not even kidding you. I had so many people say, oh my God, not only did it visually affect me, but I could tell that you were affected and you completely changed. So and it, I made it like a ritual when I was getting dressed. Like this is, it, it was like a costume. Yep. Um, so that's been super, super powerful. It's basically like my version of the glasses, like changing yeah. even how you're dressing. And I'll tell you that the other things that you're talking about too, when I'm preparing for things, I will watch... I'll watch performers. So whether it's a singer or whether it's Beyonce or something like that. And then I will watch comedians and I will listen to Eminem and I'll watch Oprah. And I'm like getting ready to embody each characteristic in my mind. So I literally do this all of the time. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Uh, Like I say it in the book is, yeah, I'm the first person who's written the book on this because that was what I kept on hearing in the publishing world when I was going through and having all these meetings. Uh, We had, I mean, we had, we had, we had set a record 
in the publishing space by having 19 publishers wanting this book. And oh my God, I'm, that is amazing, by the way. I just have to say how amazing <laughs> that is. Like, and so, so exciting. But, but and I'm not saying that about you know bragging about you know for my purposes. I'm just that that is that is way more to, has less to do with Todd and has way more to do with the power of the idea. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it was so funny because I'd be in those conversations and they'd be like, "Why hasn't this book been written?" Like we right. know. How <laughs> and, and I said, "Well, you know, I I, I think it's because." It's been danced around, but no one finally codified. And, and because, again, I've worked with people one-on-one for over 16,000 hours. That's one-on-one true you know, coaching and advising and mentoring people. And so when you work that many hours of people, you now actually get a lot of data and you get to see truly what are those kind of little levers that are being pulled. And this was one of those little levers that was moving big boulders for people. And, you know, and I'm, I'm excited because, like I say, to, like you had that experience but the great thing about this is I'm only reminding people of something that all of you already know about. This is built into the human condition. We all did this as kids naturally. We played with personas. We played with ideas. We were a nurse or a doctor or a chef or a Wonder Woman or Superman or whoever one day. And, and it was natural. And then over time, we start to develop this narrative of, oh, well, I've got to grow up or people tell you to grow up or what it means to be a quote unquote adult. And we start to lose that really powerful gift that we have, which is our imagination to create worlds for ourselves that we get to grow into. And this has nothing to do because I know one of the natural objections that comes up from people is, well, isn't isn't this being fake? And I don't want to be inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And, And really authenticity is about you having your real results be a reflection of who you truly are on the inside. Nothing is more frustrating to a person than when you put your head on a pillow at the end of the day and you are like, why didn't I say what I wanted to say to that person? Why didn't I do what I wanted to do? Why didn't I say to my mom when I was leaving, I love you? Like, Why do I have those hangups? That's being inauthentic because we judge ourselves then on that performance. Mm. As opposed to, if we're simply leveraging and getting Oprah to help me get on the field as I know I can, that's the most real and authentic you that there is. Mm-hmm. I read a quote in your book that I loved and talking about, and you touched on it just a little bit. It was, your imagination can build extraordinary worlds and ordinary worlds. You've already been doing this. And here's a reminder that playfulness doesn't stop at eight years of age. It's a pathway of handling life with more grace. I I love that because ultimately um, we're constantly, we're building our future in our imagination. So can you kind of speak to the difference between the extraordinary world and the ordinary world and what does it take to build that? Yeah, I I will in a second, but you you brought up, you know, there's a lot of, you know, different parts of that book, but why did that particular thing resonate with you though? Oh, okay. Um, Because I really, I I believe we're always building a case and a story at all times. So I'm Mm -hmm. always looking at what my thoughts are thinking and what I'm, what I'm feeding, like what, what version of my life do I want to build? Because I truly know that it's all, it's always just whatever I want. Like it's all made up anyway. So I might as well make up a powerful world to live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was, I mean, that, that, part of the book. It's so funny that you picked that out because, you know, the, the struggles that I had just trying to, you know, move through life myself was that was my reminder to myself was that, you know, and it was more of like, 
you know, I'm not an affirmation person, but it was more of like, if I continue to do this, I'll be able to, you know, conquer all those and slay all those dragons that I was caring and, and, you know, truly get to that place where life was more playful again and, and graceful. And, you know, being able to use an alter ego to help navigate that stuff allowed me to, you know, circumvent those issues that I, you know, I'd had, yeah. you know, bouncing around in my head. When I'm talking about the ordinary and extraordinary world is in, inside of chapter number three, I share kind of the model that explains why this is so powerful. And I wanted to give people a framework when I was writing the book that kind of took the alter ego effect or just the idea of alter egos and secret identities even deeper to show people how, how deep and resonant this actually is at the core of, uh, of who we are. And so I talk about how there's, there's many layers for how our identity how our identity gets shaped. And there's this core part. If you think of it like the earth's crust being cut open and how sometimes you get to see like how the earth is shaped and, and that's kind of how the model is built inside the book. And so at our very core is this place of just like powerful possibility where creativity sits, where that imagination sits, or, or you could say love and gratitude, all those powerful emotions. And then from there, we start to get shaped. Our identity starts to get shaped. And the next layer is something called the core driver layer. And core drivers are things like, you know, the country that you live in. That's a core driver. Your family. Things that are very deep and resonant. Things that are larger than typically ourselves. Our family is bigger than just one person. Our country is bigger than one person. Your religion or your spiritual practice or whatever. Your values, um, which sound like it's an individual thing, but your values are always the very thing that does shape your character. So, and that we can actually a lot of times act through parts of our core drivers that we don't even realize, like something as simple as, well, my family has never been an entrepreneur, so why would I be an entrepreneur? Yeah. So that's a story and a narrative that's getting shaped at a core driver layer. Mm. Then beyond that layer, the next layer is our beliefs, our attitudes, things that we've now adopted and learned over time. And, you know, I always challenge people like a belief is your belief, but it's not a truth. Right, because mm-hmm. in order for something to be a truth, it has to be true for me and true for you. That's a truth, right? You and I can both be walking on the side sidewalk, and we're both walking on concrete. And I'm like, well, that's a truth. That is concrete. But you know, someone that says all people from Ohio are terrible with money, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's a truth. A truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> um, uh, listen, I don't want hate mail from people from Ohio. I we love, love Ohio I love, people with um, money. <laughs> uh, yeah, with money. <laughs> oh my god. That's- that's gold. Uh, <laughs> That's your quote too, by the way, on the quote. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be on the social media. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so those are our beliefs and our attitudes um, get shaped about, you know, who and what we are or the world, you know, what we believe about the world and ourselves. And then the next layer is where it's the layer of action. And that's where our behaviors are, the skills that we've developed, our knowledge. You know, our belief layer can doubt our skills, doubt our knowledge. That's where imposter syndrome starts to go in, where we, you know, dismiss our wins, dis- dismiss the, the the achievements that we've had in life and um, worry that we're going to be found out, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And then the final layer is the layer of like circumstance, a situation. It's our field of play. It's, you know, hey, I can speak really well, but I can't speak in front of an audience of a thousand. Well, now that's a circumstance and I'm going to, I want to, that's a, that's a belief that someone has about that circumstance. Anyway, in that, in that entire model, I talk about how there's an ordinary world that's, that gets created in it and there's an extraordinary world that gets created in it. And an ordinary world that people are experiencing right now is a world where you f- 
keep on getting trapped mm. by the circumstances around you, by the beliefs, by not uncovering and sort of peeling back the onion on, you know, are those things that I'm acting through at a core driver layer? And I, I'm, in the book, I try to really unpack it for people so they can really get clarity about themselves and, and how they're how it's truly shaping how they're showing up so that we can remove it far more quickly. And so the ordinary world is just, it gives a sensation that because it's ordinary, because I'm not showing up like I know that I can, or I'm not pursuing the things that I really want to, I'm not, I haven't started that business. I haven't started that creative practice of, you know, painting or writing, or I haven't started that practice of deepening a relationship with my significant other because I want them to start it first, even though I know at my core, that's not the right way to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. There's, this, there's this massive wisdom that we have at our core that when we tap into it, we actually un- and we start acting through it, we unlock a heroic self. And that heroic self starts to create an extraordinary world. Not because that world is easier. The same things happen to people who are living in an extraordinary world, mm-hmm. but they stay really far more connected to who and what they want to show up on the field of play of life. And they're acting through a lot more powerful intention. And it's no longer shaped by me trying to impress other people. It's me knowing who I am and what I want. And I'm going to play this life in this game through those rules, my rules, and, and show up. And then what I say to people is, it might be one thing to know that. And maybe that releases that heroic self. But for other people... They still have that tinge of self-doubt. And that's where an alter ego or secret identity or playing with a persona can help draw out those personality traits and skills that you want. So I, I know that I can definitely trace mine. I, I, I think this is probably everyone too, but going back to the core driver, you know, the family, the values, the environment, like those, those can feel like, you know, you said beliefs, but those can feel like truths sometimes to yes. break through. Yes. So like yes. separating when you have the... I know there's a lot of people who are still in the environment that reflects back to them what feels like a belief. Mm-hmm. So wh- what would you say to people who are like, oh man, this is a deep rooted, like this is so deep. Let's say maybe it's religion. Let's say it's yeah. family. So it's like, you're going to either go through some pain or you're not even sure if it's truth for you, even though deep down you do know. What are the steps in like getting to the real deep root and being able to work through it? If, you're, if you feel you're imprisoned by a belief of maybe your family um, struggles with yeah. money, let's say yeah. that. Yeah. Well, so one thing is, is just knowing that the human spirit has such a phenomenal capacity to withstand struggle and trauma. And I'm not saying that there's going to be people that, that not everyone has to go through deep trauma, but just know that there is that, you know, the fact that you're even listening to this podcast shows that there is an extraordinarily deep and resonant toughness and strength to you. And there is literally nothing on the horizon that could beat that as someone who has gone through a lot. And that's probably in some ways what made me really good with the people that I've worked with is that I've got an extraordinarily high level of empathy and I will never spew a bunch of self-help crap that isn't based in you know, truth because I, I think that's a responsibility that everyone should have is you know, to, to base things in something beyond just provocation or something like that. But it is that, is that just know that 
and that alone can help a lot of people. And it, mm-hmm. but when you're in it, that can feel tough to do. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're still breathing shows that you've got an amazing fortitude. But more than that, here's one one thing I want to make very clear to people is this I think one thing that the personal development and the self-help space has done a disservice with and it's no one's fault I don't think. It's it's the name itself, self-help, mm-hmm. personal development. If you want to lead a life where you are the one who gets to stand at the top of the mountain and say, I conquered this with no one around you, that Mm -hmm. is an empty existence. Mm -hmm. You were doing it way harder than you ever need to do. And so knowing this, what I would then encourage, how you move through this stuff is with the help of as many allies as you can get, as many trusted allies as you can get. I'm constantly hunting for even better quality people that I can get myself around. Not because I think the people that I'm with are not quality. It's just that it's only going to make me that much more valuable to the people that I like to serve or to my own family. I've got three little kids and I want to be as valuable to them as I possibly can. You know, as someone who's, and you've gone through this, as someone who's going through the, you know, the early, the the final stage of, you know, launching a book out into the world, you cannot launch a book out into the world and make it a splash without the help of a lot of superhero friends to show up for you, a lot of allies. And it's such a great metaphor for every other great achievement that we're all trying to go through is trying to do something on your own is just a fantastic recipe for depression isolation and mm-hmm. loneliness. And, mm-hmm. and so you're, the more that you share where you want to go with other people that you know are also people who like to strive to do big things as well, man, the more you're giving yourself an opportunity for just some sort of miracle to show up for you, some amazing opportunity that you couldn't have tried to you know, sketch out or you know, put down on a task list because someone opens up and they're like, oh, I know that person. Let me open up the door for you. Mm, amen. <laughs> like- yeah. And, and so it's, 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 it's not the answer that because many people are they're like, hey, okay, well, because everyone wants to go to, well, the grit and the willpower. And, and I'm saying, no, like as, as someone who has learned the hard way sometimes, it's that it was so silly of me. And, and when I take a look at those years where I didn't grow in business or self as much as other years, it was I isolated myself. I mm-hmm. did not um, share with people where I was trying to go. I didn't share with people the thing I was struggling with because good human beings, which is, by the way, despite what it feels like it is in the media, is by far and away the vast majority of human beings on this planet. Mm-hmm. They love to help other people. I want to leverage that. Um, and it's so funny, right? Because when you're on a diet, the chances of you breaking your own diet are extremely high. <laughs> However, and this is what I did as a, as a practical example, because um, I did some fitness competitions back in my late 20s and early 30s. And when my, my best friend, Mike, and I would go out for uh, lunch together, he would order for me and I would order for him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I'm, I, I want to see him succeed. He's right. my best friend. So mm-hmm. I'm going to order the best thing for him and he's going to do the same thing for me. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting and so true. And so, so why- and, and as a practical thing too, because I know this is your mm-hmm. crowd as well, is mm-hmm. that um, I did a challenge in one of my one of my communities where we um, I asked people to pair up, and I asked them to plan out each other's week 
get to know their business and plan out that other person's week. I'll tell you what, it was the most productive, effective, game-changing breakthrough weeks of all of those people's lives who participated because that other person is going to put the thing on your calendar that they know is going to help you succeed. And they don't live with your resistance. They don't live with your negative beliefs or your own traps that you've got. They're just saying, practically, this is what you need to do. And then the fact that you're, that other person is reciprocating and doing it for them, you don't want to let each other down. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally like, I'm going to do that in this group that I do yeah. um, with these other women because that's so brilliant. It's so easy to pull in your story all of yeah. the time and yeah. be like, well, that's going to be in the way and that's going to be in the way and, and it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you think we, why do we always go back to isolating ourselves? It's a story that's just been consistent over the course of time where it's, you know, you feel like you're the only one who's going through that. Uh, um, and then secondly, it's that you don't want to bother someone else. Like no one wants to be a quote unquote burden yeah. um, by sharing that. But, you know, as someone who has problems and situations and circumstances presented to him every single day, because that's what I do for a living. It's only a burden, I think, if someone wants to sit inside of it and just talk about it for a very long time. But for me, I'm never bothered by it because I know that the person is there just, they're, they're, they're struggling with it, but they're struggling with it because they're trying to break free of it, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's when, as soon as I have a friend who I'm, I'm not seeing struggling with something, that's when I get concerned because complacency and apathy are extraordinarily dangerous. Right, yeah. because as soon as you have complacency, as soon as you, as soon as you have apathy, or as, the next step is very dangerous, which is where hope is lost. And when hope is lost, that's when people do things that are way beyond outside of their character. Yeah. So, and as soon as I have someone around me that I care for that goes quiet on me, and again, I know this so well because I know what I did, and well, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna ping them. Right away. Mm-hmm. So it's why, it's why one of the practices I've had since, it's not why, but it's one of the great benefits of this practice. So since I was 22, I've written a handwritten note every single day, five days a week. So mm-hmm. I've written over 4,600 personal letters to people. So if I read a book, I'm going to send that author a, a note. And it's going to sound something like, you know, um, uh, hi, Laurie, we've never had the pleasure of meeting before, but I wanted to sit down and, and send you this, this note of appreciation for doing the hardest thing I think is out there, which is putting words on paper and, and writing a book. And specifically, I wanted to thank you for what you said on page 76. And then I'll put in what you said on page 76. And, I'll, and then I'll finish up with, you know, that really shifted a paradigm that was in my head. So thank you for doing this. I wish you the best, uh, Todd Herman. And I don't say, hey, if you're ever in New York City sometime, let's get some coffee or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the number, you know what the number one response is I've gotten back from people? What? You have no idea how much I needed to get this today. Wow. Wow. And to- totally not suspecting that or expecting that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, and I've written letters to, mm-hmm. I, I'm completely unfiltered. I mean, I've sent letters off to Daniel Day-Lewis, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who unfortunately committed suicide, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. They were actually one of my first 20 letters I sent and they, they all responded back. Um, you know, I got letters back on presidential letterhead and all that. And um, yeah, the most consistent response back was, you have no idea how much I needed to get this today. Thank you. Wow. So this is a daily thing that you do. It's like a, yeah. a handwritten note that you send, just something yeah. you're grateful for. 
And everyone in this community would would know well about the the practice of you know people talk about you know gratitude journals or whatever. And mm-hmm. so this is this is my way of taking gratitude and magnifying it by passing it on to someone else. Mm. What do you think that's done for your life? Well, I mean, it's it's definitely kept me rooted and connected when I've gone through challenging times because that mm-hmm. feedback loop that I'm consistently getting back because you know I'm writing every day and you know I've tried to pursue some tough things and challenging things and all that and getting that feedback loop constantly closing where I've made someone else feel good, not kept me going, you know, to say, you know, mm-hmm. it was completely morbid or anything like that, but it, it really, <laughs> yeah. it really helped, you know, fuel me um, and made me want to do it even more. And yeah, it was, uh, and just have it, that's how I start the day. And mm-hmm. it just kind of anchors me into a good place. Mm. So I know writing a book like is just such a journey of ups and downs and oh my God, I, I can't even, I talk about it a lot on this podcast. So I think yeah. a lot of people know, <laughs> but so I'm always just, I, I love hearing the process because I think it's also just a part of the book. So for you, what, what came up for you on the days where you were either struggling or you had imposter syndrome or mm-hmm. you were like, oh my God, I'm halfway through or, or whatnot? Can you share some of the struggles with us and how you got through them? Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, this is just full transparency. It was the hardest thing I've ever done professionally because okay. A, the, the, the method that I use when building out an alter ego with people wasn't a step-by-step process mm. because it doesn't need to be that way. And even, well, I'll actually get to this in a second, how I kind of ended up solving it. And so, um, you know, and I was working with a, uh, uh, a ghostwriter to help unpack the book. And she's had multiple New York Times bestselling books. She was amazing to work with. And I mean, we had a lot of days where I'm like, you know, we would unpack some amazing content and fall down a rabbit hole. Mm. And, and then in the end, I'm like, but that doesn't need to go in the book. That's yeah. amazing. But it doesn't need to go in the book because it's going to overcomplicate the idea. And I, what I really want to make sure that this um, honors is the fact that this can be light. Like, I mean, I, I think you've seen so far in the book, I, I constantly try to at least bring it back to, hey, mm-hmm. by the way, we can be playful with this. Yeah, I you love know, that. Some people are definitely using this as a way to overcome you know, some terrible hurts or some trauma. And that is one way that people have used it. Other people, like say David Bowie, who experimented with like saying, using it for like Ziggy Stardust, was using it as a way of expressing a different creative self for themselves. But mm-hmm. you know, on those days where it was challenging, um, I can't, I'm, you know, it would be great if I gave someone some phenomenal tip uh, that, you know, this is how I conquered it. But sometimes I just stepped away from it. Mm-hmm. That was one thing I needed to do just to get some perspective. I will say that, you know, my wife was phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm super lucky in that I, I married my biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's, she never loses that doubt. And I would talk to her about it and, you know, just, just unpacking with her, I'd get pops of insight. Mm-hmm. And actually... That was when I, I'm like, oh, wait a second, Todd, don't forget that's your rhythm. Talk it out with other people and then yes. you're going to find your, your breakthroughs. So there was, there was that part. And reality was when I sat down with my editor um, after the first draft was given to him and, and he was you know, giving me some advice and he would kind of give me some general advice, but it wasn't specific. And mm-hmm. finally, I'm like, Eric, I need like this isn't helpful for me. Like I'm a first time <laughs> author here. You know, I, I I'm a business owner. I'm an advisor, mentor. I don't I don't write for a living. 
And, um, and again, like Eric works with Malcolm Gladwell. He's Simon Sinek's mentor. Like mm-hmm. the guy has got some serious chops. And so I said, you just can't keep on telling me to like write more like Malcolm Gladwell. That's not helpful to me. <laughs> um, and, and so anyways, he gave me some advice. And then at the very end, which I will never forget, this will, be, this will forever be burned in my mind as a subject line that I'll never forget, which is um, in all caps, at, on August the 8th, he said, pencils down. Um, and I'll never forget that because it was, he was saying, Hey, we're done. There's no more edits to this book. It's, it's good to go. Mm. Um, and in, but in that he sent this, you, you, you kind of unpacked the last few months and he said, you know, you asked me a few months ago what you needed to do more of to make your writing even better. Mm. And the answer was you just needed to write more. You needed mm. to write more drafts, which goes back to like the stuff that you're going to talk with people. What I'll talk with is this stay engaged with the process and we get stay engaged with the process you're going to, in the end, win out because you're constantly going to be getting better and better and better. Mm. Um, And and again, I used an alter ego when I wrote. I mean, I used Charles Bukowski, who's a famous fiction writer, the classic kind of guy who drank a lot. And I was like, I wanted to be that when I was kind of playing out this um, role of being an author. Mm. Oh my God. I'm just going to, that like needs to just replay and replay because it's, it, this, it applies to everything that we just talked about. And it, mm. it also, I think is, it's just taking a, taking a new journey that you've never taken before, which for a lot of people is going to be what you're, what you're talking about here is it also goes back to having, let it be fun. Um, it's going to be hard, but also give yourself so much grace. Mm-hmm. Like I can't ima- imagine the grace that you had to pull in throughout the writing process as well. Well, and you know what? I, I will say, once I started getting into it, I fell in love with the. I fell in love with this other side of myself, mm-hmm. where I always describe myself as a coach and advisor. And I've got a really great friend. Um, I don't know. Do you know who Jonathan Fields is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's, uh, good life. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we, we were. That's right. I forgot. I was, I was actually talking to him about it, about you today. Anyway, so him and I and and two other. Uh, guys here in New York City, we, we're in a dad mastermind together. So we all run businesses and uh, we get together every six weeks and we just talk about you know the dad side of us and then also being business owners. And, oh, that's awesome. And yeah, and it's been phenomenal. And Jonathan, he has this great framework and way of thinking uh, like a bandwidth where at one end of the band is a maker and at the other end of the band is a helper. And so when we met, even though we're very, very similar at our core, our character-wise, we're the same person almost. But then how we express ourselves in the world is very different. He's very quiet and you know methodical and very much a deep, deep thinker. And I'm way more kind of gregarious and outgoing and, and stuff. So anyways, he was like, when he, when he explained it, he said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm 100% a maker. And then I said, oh, that's so funny because I'm 100% a helper. Mm. But then... So fast forward to after the book is done and him and I are sitting down having breakfast together here in New York. We were kind of talking about the process and just some shifts that had happened for me through it. I said, man, like through the process, I think I realized that I'm actually 100% a maker. Mm. I'm far more a maker than I ever thought. And, wow. uh, and he said, it's so funny you say that because I've known that all along. <laughs> um, you, you are, you're 100% a maker. So it's what the gift that the book gave me was now pursuing this other kind of you know, next decade of my life will be doing a lot more of that kind of stuff and not as much coaching as I've and advising and mentoring as I've done in the past. Mm, I, 
I love hearing these stories because there's so much for the people listening. There's so many parts of them and so many paths that they have no idea that are going to bring like so much massive, just basically euphoria. Because I know that it sounds to me like you found what I found, just like these little moments of euphoria where you're like more attached to like your creator or whatever you believe in Mm -hmm. the universe, like than you've ever been. And you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) this is (laughs) actually who I am. But it's kind of like you're creating that as well. It's just the coolest. I I love, it's just the coolest journey ever. So before we part, because I could literally, I had to hold back like talking so that you, so that we could... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> learn even more, but this could be like a four hour podcast for me. Well, and, and by the way, by the way, gang, I mean, Lori and I, we've, I've had many, many people mention Lori to me um, over the last couple of years. And I think you had mentioned the same thing before as well. And uh, this is the very first time we've ever talked together. And we were on together for about five minutes before this. And um, yeah, you, you, you're already an old friend. Oh, I, I literally, there's, there's so much. So we're going to have to pick that up. Um, <laughs> cause I, I have notes to remember certain things, but I want to know who, when, when you picture this, because I know that there's so much in the, cause now you're getting into the marketing side, right? And that's like getting it into the hands because you have poured your soul into this book and there's like, you know, the value of it. I know the value of it. Who is this for? Well, this is for those people who are ambitious achievers wanting more than what they may have. And more doesn't mean consumption of more. More might mean actually subtraction, deleting stuff that shouldn't be there. And, and that actually is when I talk about, because I live in the world of uh, high performance, one of the principles that we talk about is performance is actually a subtraction, deletion, and removal process mm. more than it ever is an additive process. So many people try to want to add more. But if you think about you know, climbing any mountain, the people who are going to take the longest to get up there are the ones who try to pack as much as they possibly can on their back and drag it up with them. Whereas the people who are going to get there in a stealth fashion or without overwhelming and tiring themselves out are the ones who are going to unpack a lot. And, and so that for me is that could be achievement for people. Achievement could be just letting go stuff that you don't need to carry anymore. Or it could be people that want to be... I mean, I use... I talk about the alter ego that I use for uh, me being a parent, right? The last thing that my little kids need, I got a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. The last thing they need is this confident, decisive, and articulate version of Todd that shows up in business. What they want is the fun, playful, and you know, get on the ground and muck around version. Mm-hmm. And so... We can all get caught up in our own day. Like, you know, there's a lot of energy that goes into running a business and doing the stuff that we do. And so when you end up going home to them, you can rob them of that energy because you can be tired. And, and that's not fair to them. So before I walk through the door here, just stop for a second, just to make sure I remember, I'm going on to a new field. Who do I want to be on that field? And now I don't even need to do it because it's just unconscious. You know, as a new dad, I needed to do that. And when I walk in the door, there, I leave, there's a little hook where my daughter Molly made a small little bracelet for me a couple of years ago, and it has M, S, and C on it. Molly, Sophie, and Charlie. And um, I put it on, and that's my totem. That's my artifact. That's my version of my glasses. Where mm-hmm. that's how I want to embody. And and who lives in that? Again, that's that enclosed cognition. Is Mister Rogers? Mm-hmm. And. I don't know if anyone here has watched the Mr. Rogers um, Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary. Which I is heard ama- it was amazing. It's amazing. You got to watch mm-hmm. it. Literally a third of that documentary is about alter egos. Mm. And they talk about how 
his famous hand puppet, which is Daniel the Tiger, which is now a famous cartoon. Mm-hmm. His wife talks about how Daniel Tiger was his alter ego, which was really the truest reflection of how, who he felt he really was. And he acted himself through Daniel Tiger. Mm. And so that's, you know, it's because there's those moments where it's like you can easily respond and react, you know, emotionally. But just having that idea of, well, how would Mr. Rogers do this? Well, I'm going to get down on one knee because he always got down on one knee. He would always talk at eye level. You know, Sophie, my middle one, she's got this fantastic emotional bandwidth. (laughs) Let's just call it that. (laughs) where She can can go off pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And me meeting, again, like I said at the very beginning, me meeting force with force, right? her force of her energy with my force of being like that dominating parent that's like going to yell and scream back, it doesn't work. So I shifted because that's what I was, I was making that mistake. And I shifted and, you know, Mr. Rogers would just get down on one knee and he would probably embrace her and give her a hug. And it's amazing how what would typically have been a five to 12 minute meltdown goes to 18 to 30 seconds. Because that's all she needs is that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the application of this is so universal and people have used it to help them, you know, bring their heroic self on many different stages, many different fields, whatever that might be. Uh, I love that. And I, I found so many parts of it. I can't wait to read it in its entirety. What, what you talked about at the end for finding wherever you're at in the journey, like for me right now, it is the, the taking away. And I'm, I'm just, mm-hmm. I love that I was reading part of that in your book, just the, the confirmation. And also I, I think it's important to, when you're in that space, you know, we can be so attached to different identities and just yeah. also learning about, oh, you can switch it. Like that actually yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter. We can choose, um, you know, how we feel and to make a good day and you can do it through this process yeah. as well. So I love yeah. that. And I just want to, just want to acknowledge you for how you've shown up in the world as such an amazing teacher. And you have this beautiful ability to take those really big topics and make them super easy to understand and very bite-sized. So I'm so grateful for that, which is probably challenging at times. Um, <laughs> well, but that's, that, that's my favorite thing. I mean, I'm yeah. dyslexic. Uh, so that's kind of one of the superpowers of people who've got dyslexia is I think in pictures. And so it, what it does, it allows me to maybe see things, sort of chunk things up a little bit mm-hmm. into like, what's the, what's the big picture here? Like at the moment you pull me down to the weeds, boy, that overwhelms me. If you want a fantastic way to make me anxious, then definitely pull me down to the details of something. But, you know, one, one of my superpowers is definitely shaping context for people. And, you know, and I love that because I think one of the most powerful gifts you can ever give someone isn't necessarily motivation, isn't confidence, because both of those things are born out of clarity. When mm. someone gets clarity, all that fog gets lifted. Now, when they're standing at the entrance to the forest, if there's fog in there, no one's going to run into that forest headlong and as fast as they can. But when you remove that fog and it lifts up and they can see a path forward, now the confidence shows up and the motivation or the momentum and all that stuff. So that's kind of what I'm always focused on is how can I help someone get more clarity around this so they can see it differently, shift a paradigm or get a new perspective. And, and then now they can move forward. Oh, amen. When I'm not clear, I'm like debilitated. It's yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so amen. So, okay. For, for your book, where do you want us to go to go grab it? Because you guys literally, this will be a book that will help you not only get clarity, but will absolutely 
impact and change your life because it's not something that has to take a long time to start doing. So no. where should we go? Should we go uh, well, I mean, my yeah, they can go to Amazon. They can go to alteregoeffect.com and okay. they can uh, click on... Uh, we've got all the links ready for people so it redirects them properly to the Amazon stores around the world or the Barnes & Noble stores or wherever they want to go buy it from if you want to go to your local bookstore and all that kind of good stuff. But if they just go to alteregoeffect.com, the links are all there for people to go out and um, grab it wherever their preferred place is. Oh my gosh. I love that. And and here's the deal that we have so many um, overachievers on here. So for the overachievers, if you want to leave a review or text this episode to a friend, that can be like your A++ extra yeah. credit. Because <laughs> as an author, and I always like to share this because we have so many people who listen to this who want to be an author or they want to be a speaker. Um, as an author, it takes a massive community to get it out there. So if you do love it, just take one extra second and share it or text it and make sure your friends are reading it with you and start a book club. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, and tag me. Like, tag me. Let me know if, yes. if you got questions. Tag me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all those other places that everyone else hangs out as well. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those, just like you said, I mean, the, if you can do this book with someone else too, again, that's yes. where you're uniting that superpower alliance of you know, bringing other people into an extraordinary world with you. Oh yes, and they know I'm all about that. So I'm I'm hoping that they've all started that. So okay, I always end on one last question. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So you have like 30 seconds in passing with a stranger, whether you're on the street or in an elevator, and they look at you and they ask you, "How can I make myself happy?" What do you say? How can I make someone how can how I make How do I make myself happy? Yeah. I think there would be two things I would say back to them. I know there's going to be two things is one, sit down and write a note to someone thanking them mm. for the way that they make you feel and how they've impacted you in some way. That's, That's number one. Okay. And number two would be to go out and find someone that you do not know and pay them an unadvertised compliment. Mm. So... That one sounds strange to some people. The first one is the easiest go-to. The second one though, I think that if there was a championship for being or finding the world's best elevator conversationalist, I think I would probably win that battle. <laughs> You're like, this <laughs> uh, is my question. This, this is, <laughs> I, I love getting in the elevator and um, I, I do this every day. I mean, living in New York City, because we're always in elevators, it makes it easy. But I love getting in the elevator and just striking up conversations. And I always will reference something that's situational. So, you know, if, uh, Lori, if you get on the elevator with me, I might look down and I'll be like, new shoes. <laughs> and it's insane how many times someone will respond back with, oh my God, yes, they are. Do you like them? And I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're rocking them. Those are outstanding. And, and what you do for that person in that moment, they are floating on a cloud for the rest of the day. Because mm -hmm. again, don't forget so many people, not everybody, but so many people go out in the world feeling insecure about themselves. And if mm -hmm. I can pack, can stack one more little poker chip of confidence onto their side of the table, I don't know, you know, the domino that might drop for them that day. So just paying someone a just random compliment about something, you know, and it's even something as simple as just, just, just today. I mean, where, where my office is, there's a pizza place downstairs. A guy got in with a slice of pizza and, um, and all I said to him was like, pizza day, hey? 
And he's like, oh my God, man, it was a long weekend. And, then, and we just got chatting about stuff. And then I said, oh, have you tried out this pizza place? So anyway, it was a 15 second conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, for someone, I could, I could just tell that it was like one of those days, you know, if it was 10 seconds where it made him happy, then, and, and it makes, and again, for me, it's so, so selfish. It makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. I literally, when I'm, when I'm open to that and when I'm doing that, I swear I have like a, my day gets 90% better. And, and it's true. Someone just gave me a random compliment on Monday that I'm still carrying with me. It's Wednesday. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it could, it could have a serious effect. Totally. Um, yep. I'm so grateful for you. Um, I cannot wait to have the physical copy of your book in my hand. And I just think that this is going to be, I think this is, we're just going to just claim it here that it's going to be an amazing book launch and all of the things are are going to be incredible with this book. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate this. As, as you know, this stuff is, is not easy to do. And to have someone like you come along and share your platform and your tribe with this message is uh, very much appreciated. So thank you. Oh, uh, we are the blessed ones today. So thank <laughs> you. And you guys, if you loved this podcast as much as I did, make sure you share it with your friends. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more. Of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. Want to know a huge secret to my success? Okay, not only my success, but just about every single person that I have interviewed on this podcast who is successful has this in common. You guys, they love to journal. They capture their life lessons and what they're grateful for. But a lot of people don't keep this up consistently. And most people do know that the research shows that journaling deepens your gratitude and increases self-awareness. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high-performing people. It leads to longer-term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about, or they just forget. That's why I know that you're going to love Growth Day. It's the world's number one system for self-improvement, and it's like all-in-one personal development in an app. And it has an awesome digital journal, and people love it. Growth Day's digital journal has hundreds of research-backed writing prompts for self-reflection, positive mindset, confidence building, and success. I use them all the time, and it makes me think in ways that I typically don't, and it makes me ask myself better questions, which we all know gets better results in our life. 
It even has prompts that help you develop a daily, weekly, or monthly habit of reflecting on your life and identifying areas to grow. So it's a perfect time of year to start journaling, you guys. When you sign up at Growth Day, you also get systems for habit tracking, goal setting, and scoring and improving every area of your life. Best of all, I get to teach there too, you guys. I'm so excited. I hope that I get to see you. I teach live in Growth Day every single month with a new topic just for you. So join me there. Start your free trial at growthday.com slash Lori. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community and everyone is talking about the power of community without an online community you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement which is what i know that we're all after and you can build trust or monetize your audience when you get community right not only does your audience grow faster but so do your sales but where's everybody gonna be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to Circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14-day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Hey, I know if you're listening to this podcast that you have big dreams and big goals. And one of the things that can really stop you is struggling with your marketing. Trust me, I have been there. Are you using 10 different systems just to build your online business? Then I want you to try Kajabi. Kajabi helps you build your web pages, set up funnels, and sell your courses, content, coaching, or communities. You've been hearing me talk a lot about funnels on this podcast and the importance of your email list. You can get a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. I've talked about Kajabi before, but here's something that's super cool and new. They just rolled out an AI assistant for creating your online course curriculum. And this means you just type in a topic that you want to create on a course or webinar and bam, it just generates a sample outline for you. It takes a ton of the hard work away. Of course, you're going to customize it to be your own, but this really helps you get over the struggle of how in the world to start 
which is where most people stop. If you're like me, starting is always the hardest part and that's what makes Kajabi so popular. They've made it easier for creators to build web pages, build courses, build coaching programs, build membership sites, build checkout pages, and build email funnels. So if you're struggling with any of those, you gotta go check it out. Go to kajabi.com. Kajabi was really the first all-in-one system and is trusted by over 100,000 creators. I think that's good enough for me. Also as influencers and marketers who use this. And now their smart AI platform makes it easy to take what you know and turn it into an online course and business. Go start building with a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com.